0: It really gave me an idea of what preparedness means for a lot of people and what, how you can help other people.
1: Jesse Wong, who is a junior this year at South Eugene High School, it's in Oregon, spent a week this past summer at a FEMA Youth Preparedness Camp in Washington State.
0: It wasn't very rainy. It was, there was one day where it was kind of cloudy, but most of the days, super bright, sunny.
1: And in this safe and surprisingly sunny environment, Jessie got to practice responding to a simulated disaster conducted by actual first responders and emergency managers. It's a set of lessons that she may never need, but can always use.
0: Real-world injury. And that can be someone just doesn't want to do something anymore, because there's a lot of pieces today. So practice real-world
1: injury. Real-world Real world injury. Real-world injury. Real Real do world world you think that you'll always look to like help people and people in your community?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if my future career will be in emergency preparedness or anything like that, but obviously I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the, either the medical or the law fields. And, um, but through this camp and through the National Preparedness Council, I really realize I have a passion for um, helping people in their times of crisis.
1: I'm David L. Yost and this is the FEMA
2: Podcast. I'm Scott Zafram and I'm the Federal Preparedness Coordinator for FEMA Region 10 and I am one of the the visionaries for the Youth Disaster Preparedness Camp that we're doing. This really started off over a number of years ago as our agency tries to build a culture of preparedness and build capacity for a catastrophic event and the idea is, is that how can we build generational support within our communities on engaging youth because they should be part of the solution when disasters happen and it's not just full large-scale disasters it's also localized emergencies but how do we really tap into the skill sets that these youth bring to the table how do we take advantage of their uh, motivation to be able to support um, these disasters that happen in their backyard and then more so how do they become a a force multiplier and working with local officials, uh, whether it's a state, county, uh, or local administration, and then try to spread the word of preparedness and how do we build uh, preparedness within a community and that resiliency that comes with it.
1: Disasters
2: don't discriminate.
1: It doesn't care about wealth, about popularity, about status. It won't reschedule. It doesn't
2: care about age. It's just going to happen. And there's a chance it could happen when a family is apart. The whole idea is to try to provide them a little life, critical life-saving skills, right? Things like CPR and really an, another understanding of what a threat and hazard might look like to them, right, in their backyard. And it doesn't have to be a flood or a catastrophic earthquake. Um, it could be something as simple as, as a household struggling to be able to make ends meet. And then when a disaster does happen and stresses that uh, that situation even more, what are the values that in financial, uh, baselines that really allow for a family or an individual to save for a rainy day um, so that's not a surprise and also to give them a little bit of an education that goes well beyond what they might typically think of as being a disaster right things from volcanoes in the pacific northwest we have a lot of volcanoes lahars come with that ash Um, i would also say that perhaps flooding that they have seen in the past right may we may have new flooding that develops in areas that we had never thought before um, you know, extreme temperatures. So these are the things we want to wrap their heads around and really understand that it's not just localized to the most catastrophic earthquake or floods or things that they have seen in their, in their backyard before, but new things. That's how a FEMA Youth Preparedness Camp can help. It offers a chance for students
1: in grades eight through 12 to be better prepared for disaster of any size. Do not be
2: careful today.
0: If it's something that looks a little bit unsafe, grab a body, make it safe, slow down and treat it as such. If you are hurt and that can be mentally disturbed or physically hurt, you will let people know.
2: Disaster preparedness can be fun. So the idea of taking something as innovative as a youth preparedness disaster camp and trying to get youth from four different states in the Pacific Northwest and to come together and to do other fun traditional things that you would find at a camp? Absolutely. Uh, this is all a very much a hands-on experience from putting out fires, a house fire with a or a simulated house fire with a fire extinguisher um, to being also being able to have some time out on the water doing canoeing, rock climbing, um, and just building that, that and strengthening the bond with other people. they're peers here in this. Um, A strong leverage of this youth camp has really been about trying to empower these youth as well, right? And to them, that could be very overwhelming to them, but if we can infuse some some confidence in them, make it a little fun about how do you interact with adults, we're hoping that this really has a a great dividend for us and how they go back home, and then how do they interact with the adults in their daily lives uh, and within their communities.
0: I really didn't know what I was getting into when I first applied, Um, but once we got into the camp, um, it was mostly about following the curriculum of Community Emergency Response Team, CERT program, Stop the Bleed, um, You Are the Help Until Help arrives. And it was very hands-on, um, immersive experience.
1: Jessie told me that she has kept in touch with other campers. It's probably not a surprise that they don't always discuss disaster preparedness, though it's something they have in common. For someone that wants to help people, it helps to meet people. Was there a particular part of the camp that you enjoyed as you know, compared to like others?
0: I would definitely say it was the people that made it really fun for me because some of those people there I like didn't know beforehand and it felt like we were closer to each other than we are to our school friends sometimes. And yeah, the, um, some of the instructors there were very encouraging and very aspiring.
1: So is, is, do you see it being difficult to go to your school and say, hey, I want you to prepare for this?
0: I would say, yes, it is a little difficult, but through my Red Cross Club, um, I'm planning on implementing more preparedness programs throughout this year's calendar, and through that, trying to generate more interest from students and from their expand.
1: I mean, do you talk to other students, like, in your, your high school about it, about it now? I mean, what kind, of, what kind of reaction do you get from
0: them? Um, some of them are just like, what's emergency preparedness? What is the reason? Why do I need to know this? There's like... First, first responders there to help me. I don't need to know this kind of thing.
1: Does that worry you at all?
0: It really does, because I've said this many times before, um, you're actually mostly the first responders until the real ones arrive. And that time difference between it can mean the life or death for a potential victim. So it's good to be a bystander. It's not good to be a bystander.
1: This takes on a multi-pronged approach in Oregon. While students like Jesse are finding ways to help their community, the Oregon Department of Education is developing emergency operation plans, EOPs, with every school district in the state. My name is Bryce
3: McKenna. I'm the Emergency Management Director for the Oregon Department of Education. How
1: long have you been in that position?
3: Since May of this year, May of 2019. How's it been going? Very good so far, it's a lot of coordination work at this point, we're very early in this program. It's brand new for the agency to develop internal expertise in school emergency operations planning and, and school emergency management. So getting the right people, getting connected with the right people, getting the foundation laid to be able to do this work, to help school districts around the state develop and implement emergency operations plans, that's the primary uh, duty that I was hired for. So. Uh, first few weeks have just been learning the processes, learning the systems, learning the needs, getting up to speed on everything, making the connections with the appropriate networks and getting other positions hired and on board so we can actually start going around the state to assist the school districts in the development of their EOPs.
1: Sounds like a lot of work.
3: A lot of preparatory work. We are going to be partnering with education service districts for the delivery of training. So we have intergovernmental agreements we have to uh, develop. We have, once again, companion positions. We have an advisory committee that we've needed to recruit and establish so that we have people consulting on the work, on the training plan, the training rollout plan. Uh, The primary topics that we want to ensure we cover in the training that we deliver to the school districts for the development and implementation of those plans. Of course, the incorporation of NIMS and ICS, um, Incident Command System, uh, access and functional needs, how to deal with students or staff that may have cognitive or functional impairments or other issues that may uh, provide unique considerations uh, for uh, students or staff members in uh, responding to emergencies that may occur in or around the schools. So yes, there's a lot of preparatory work before we can actually go out and start delivering
1: training. And have you uh, reached out, have you consulted with anybody um, at FEMA yet?
3: Yes, actually. So we've, we've uh, made connections with Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, with um, a couple of different representatives from FEMA, and of course, the Oregon Office of Emergency Management. We are attending the quarterly meetings at OEM, and uh, we have Uh, partnered with them on some other preparatory work that we're doing, and we have a representative from Oregon Office of Emergency Management who attends our advisory group, is one of the members of our advisory group. At the federal level, what has funded my position and the work that we are going to be doing around school emergency operations planning, it, it all started with the availability of funding from the federal government, from the U.S. Department of Education, their grants to states for emergency management. So there was a notice of funding opportunity that U.S. Department of Education posted to allow states to compete for competitive grants to do this work. Uh, Oregon Department of Education submitted a grant application and was a successful recipient of that grant. So that provides funding for five years to get this program off of the ground. So that's what's been happening at kind of the federal level and the availability of funding. At the state level, there's been a governor's task force on school safety, and there um, that was a multidisciplinary and interjurisdictional um, or interagency uh, task force to identify the needs in schools and school districts and the types of things that should be done to try to improve the safety of students and our schools around the state. So at the same time, there have been things happening at the federal level, there were some things happening at the state level, these things are coming together now. Uh, Again, we were awarded the federal grant in October of 2018, and just this year the student success act uh, passed the oregon legislature and was signed by the governor that provides funding for state-funded school safety initiatives so statewide behavioral threat assessment uh, system and other positions and flow through money to go to the districts to uh, provide for students mental and behavioral health uh, behavioral threat assessments Uh, facilities improvements around school safety and student safety, all of those types of things. So now we've got to take these uh, various pieces, the development and implementation of emergency operations plans and that work that's being funded by the federal grant, along with these new requirements at the state level uh, that is companion and complementary work, and braid and blend these things together for a comprehensive and strategic program that we can roll out statewide.
1: What does success look like for this program?
3: So from the federal grant side, what success looks like for us is that we are able and actually execute uh, emergency operations plan training at multiple levels to all of the school districts around the state that need it. Uh, We have some individual school districts in the state that are way ahead of the curve on this. They already have robust emergency operations plans. They've already drilled them. They have shelter-in-place kits. They've done tabletop exercises. They're very mature in their programs. But we have other school districts that have nothing. And then somewhere in between having nothing and having very robust plans, we have some school districts that may have something but maybe haven't updated or it's been collecting dust, all of those types of things. So the plan really on the for the work funded by the federal grant is to begin by offering basic emergency operations plan training to all those school districts that have absolutely nothing. Get people started on developing their emergency operations plans. And as we get deeper into the grant timeline, then we can start doing more advanced work, like the integration of hazard and threat-specific annexes to deal with uh, specific types of threats, whether they are tsunamis, earthquakes, wildfires, active shooters, whatever. And then the functional annexes being shelter-in-place, lockdown, lockout, free um, unification plans, communication plans. Um, Uh, evacuations, things of that nature, and how to incorporate those uh, threat-specific and hazard-specific annexes into the basic emergency operations plans. How to create redundancies, make sure we don't have single points of failure, how to incorporate NIMS and ICS protocols, uh, how to develop memorandums of agreement and memorandums of understanding with partner agencies, Uh, for uh, reunification, or for uh, supplies, or uh, relocations in the event of evacuations, those types of things. Uh, The importance of establishing those uh, memorandums of agreement, memorandums of understanding. And so that's all of the work that's going to be funded by the federal grant. So success, once again, is we have all 197 school districts uh, at the end of this, hopefully, who all have plans that they can easily and effectively implement and execute in the event of uh, any type of emergency that they may encounter in each geographic area. From the state level, uh, it's really focused on having a significant impact on students' mental and behavioral health, social-emotional learning learning, and trauma-informed care and those types of things so that we are putting a lot of emphasis into the prevention from the student-caused threats that may occur in a school, whether they're active shooters, bomb threats, whatever, or just uh, bullying, harassment, suicide intervention, prevention, postvention, so success on that. Um, On that front is going to be that we can have a significant positive impact uh, in reducing the rates of student bullying, cyberbullying, harassment, and try to uh, pull down also the uh, rate of incidence of suicidal behavior amongst the student population.
1: Is there a specific natural disaster that you're concerned about?
3: Uh, well, I don't think we could zero in on on just one. I mean, obviously, there are certain things that hit the headlines and that a lot of people uh, think about and want to worry about, like Cascadia, uh, the potential for a major earthquake to hit the uh, western part of the state. Um, but we also have, you know, it's... I think it's really important to have a realistic risk assessment, and for anyone who hasn't ever seen that or seen that matrix, it's very important in assessing the likelihood that an event would happen and the significance of impact were that thing to happen. And if we have a low likelihood and a low significance of impact, that's low risk. If we have something that has um, uh, a very high likelihood of Causing deaths, many deaths, a lot of property damage, things of that nature, and uh, it also is very highly likely. Then that's going to be higher extreme risk. And you know, across the state, depending on the geographic area, those threats are different. You know, Ben doesn't have to worry about a tsunami. Um, Many areas of the state don't have to worry as much about being impacted by wildfires. You know, particularly uh, in the urban areas in the northwestern part of the state. However, we get out to the rural areas, parts of the state, uh, eastern Oregon. You know, uh, severe inclement weather, ice storms, uh, dust storms. Um, you know, there have been some severe dust storms that have blown through Umatilla County that have uh, caused uh, wreaked havoc on Interstate 84. And if that happens while School buses are transporting students either to or from school or school activities. That's an emergency that that area, you know, uh, a high likelihood emergency that area needs to think about and prepare for. Or once again, wildfires for those areas that are very susceptible to have major wildfires burning. We don't want to have something happen in Oregon like what happened in Paradise, California last year or the year before, whenever that was. So again, I think um, we have to be really conscious of the unique. Uh, threats and hazards that are most likely to have an impact on specific schools around the state and not try to um, have a one-size-fits-all approach, but really customize our work in this area to the specific needs of, uh, based on geographic location, um, student population, money, resources available to that particular district. So there are a lot of variables that impact how we uh, roll out and implement this work. And I think we need to be mindful of all those to ensure that we're maximizing the benefit that we can offer for each individual school and school district.
1: Is there a way, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out if this just runs in the background or if there is a way or some kind of um, need from like the community at large to, to help with this?
3: Absolutely. Our advisory committee is actually made up of a number of stakeholders, uh, internal and external. So we have advocacy groups like Youth Era, uh, Lines for Life. Um, We've got Oregon Department of Human Services, county and local level emergency managers. We have representative from Oregon Office of Emergency Management, uh, law enforcement, uh, first responders, school districts. Uh, We're also going to be, you know, ensuring that we are tapping insights from students themselves, from parents, educators, administrators. Once again, taking a very multidisciplinary approach and ensuring that we are considering the input, um, implications and considerations of these school safety and security issues from lots of different pers- perspectives and angles. So absolutely, that's already baked into what we're doing so far in the preparatory work in this program.
1: So there is a way for like, kind of students to, to be involved in this?
3: Uh, Not yet. For this part of what we are doing, eventually there will be. Uh, Once again, as we roll out the uh, state-funded school safety initiatives, uh, there absolutely will be. So far for this emergency operations planning, not yet. It's just been representatives from other state and local government agencies, and once again, private enterprise or private advocacy, community aid and action organizations, things of that nature. Uh, But yeah, it's coming. Uh, More input and more solicitation of input and participation is absolutely going to be coming.
1: If or when Jesse convinces other students to be better prepared for disasters, she is making her entire community more resilient. She is part of a whole community approach to emergency management, which makes it easier for organizations like FEMA to help, ultimately improving how disaster survivors recover. Is this something that, you know, that you bring into like your family? I mean, are you are, are you the one that's like responsible for making sure everybody's prepared?
0: That's what I'm trying to do in my home and um, at my school too.
1: This allows for a better conversation with students to determine how they can be better prepared for a disaster. For FEMA, this is huge. There's no one way to plan for a disaster. It's an organic, holistic idea that's refined by community involvement, the whole community. We'll be better prepared because students like Jesse will bring the conversation to the people closest to her. Have you ever uh, been in a disaster?
0: No, but I've seen a few.
1: Is there a particular disaster that you're really concerned about?
0: Um, There were some earthquakes in Taiwan that were really devastating because some of them hit pretty close to home. Um, None of my family were injured, but a lot of people that my family were friends with were victims.
1: So your your family's from Taiwan. Are you from Taiwan as well? Correct. When When did you move to the U.S.?
0: 2009.
1: I know it's a bit of a challenge. To come to the U.S. and ask people like me that don't have a natural tongue for it, who can't do the different tones, um, to, like, say your name. Like, I screw it up, like, all the time. So I pretty much have, I feel like it's polite for me to give up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Well, my name Chinese is Huang Ya. So our last names actually come first.
1: When you're at home with your family, uh, what language do you speak with them?
0: Uh, I speak a mix of Chinese and English. With my sister, I speak mostly English. uh, With my parents, Chinese.
1: If there is an emergency, how do you communicate?
0: Um, I'd probably speak Chinese because most of my family speak Chinese.
1: So, yeah, so if you have to tell them, hey, a tsunami is coming, it's going to be in Chinese? Chinese, yeah. We've linked to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join in the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a future topic, send us an email at FEMA podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov forward slash podcast.